Welcome to Rewild, a podcast about simple business and slow living. I'm your host, Nisha Wallery. In nature, to rewild means to restore an area of land to its natural, simple, uncultivated state. I like to apply the same principle to business owners. I help online service providers rewild their life and business by simplifying so they can work less, earn more, and live more. We say goodbye to hustle culture, overwhelm, and the never-ending pursuit of growth, and say hello to a simpler, more fulfilling life and business. A business that gives you financial abundance and also time for slow mornings, travel adventures, reading, healing, making, and living. I've built a six-figure online business while working just three to four days a week and traveling the world. I put my life before my business, but that didn't mean that I had to live like a starving artist. You don't have to choose between making good money or living a simple, peaceful life. You can have both. And with this podcast, I hope to show you how. Just want to give a quick shout out to this week's sponsor, my free masterclass, The Simple 10-Step Plan to Organize Your Service-Based Business, Even If You Have No Time. If you've been feeling stressed and overwhelmed from doing hashtag all the things in your biz and you're ready to stress less, work less hours, but make more money, this masterclass is for you. You'll not only learn my simple 10-step framework to organizing your business, you'll also learn how organizing it can double your income. No exaggeration, I'll even show you how one of my students achieved this. Go to nishawillery.com slash masterclass to sign up today. Hello, hello, and I hope that you're having a lovely day. Before I go ahead and jump into the nitty gritty of today's episode, which is all about my top five business failures and mistakes back when I first started my business nine and a half years ago, and also my top mistakes and failures of the last year. So that would be 2021. Before I talk about all of that juicy stuff, we need to talk about a little podcast update. As you may have just heard now, the musical intro to this podcast has finally been updated. I've been wanting to change the intro for so long and I just didn't quite have the right words, the right kind of messaging for this podcast. So I just didn't change it. And now I finally have. And you'll also notice that I've renamed this podcast as well. So what was formerly known as The Simple Business Show is now called Rewild. I really hope that you guys are on board with me with this change. (laughs) It's a big change and I felt like it was quite a a brave change. Like I was a bit... mm, bit worried like that um, about the change because people know this podcast as the Simple Business Show and changing the name of it, I was a bit worried that people would get a bit confused. But hopefully you guys are with this. You're going to remember the name change and it's all going to be good. So let me know your thoughts anyway on the new name, the new podcast intro. Um, Go ahead and let me know over on Instagram at Nisha Woolery. So I want to go ahead and jump 
in today with the top mistakes, failures, and struggles that I went through. First of all, back when I first began my business. So this was nine and a half years ago. I decided I kind of wanted to share these because one of my most viral reels on Instagram is all about the top mistakes that I made when I first started my business. And there was all kinds of, there were all kinds of you know, comments on that reel saying things like, I wish somebody had told me this and I wish more people would talk about this. So I'm really excited to actually talk more about my mistakes and my failures in this episode. And hopefully there's something for all of you to take away from this, regardless of whether you are in your first few years of business or you've been in business for a really long time. Because like I said, I'm going to share the mistakes and failures from my first few years in business, but I'm also going to share the ones that I feel happened last year in 2021 when I'm like almost a decade into business. So to kick things off, the first mistake that I think I made when I was in my first few years of business was that my client process was a hot mess. And as a result, one of my clients was so frustrated that it actually made me cry at the fact that she rightly wasn't happy. If you have you know, been around my corner of the internet for a while. You may have seen me, uh, you may have seen a video of me talking about this story and sharing that story. And I'll link to that video in the show notes of this episode. But long story short, basically, my client process was really unorganized, unprofessional, and confusing. And my client just wasn't happy. I had failed to set expectations up front. So I think from the get-go, she was bound to be disappointed and, you know, she was bound to be um, let down when each time she tried to add to the project scope, I kept having to say, you know, that's going to cost extra, et cetera, et cetera. I just did not do a good job of setting expectations up front for that kind of thing. I didn't do a good job of setting expectations as well of what my skill set is and what I can and cannot do and what is and is not included in the project. So these were all parts of the client process, things that I should have established up front in my client process. And because that process was just such a mess, my client just kept getting more and more frustrated to the point where I went out to see a movie once and I came out and I looked at a notification on my phone, an email from my client, because at this point in my business, in the early stages of my business, I wasn't even using a project management tool to communicate with clients. I was just doing old-fashioned back and forth emails, which in and of itself is messy right there and then. So I get this email notification and it's in all caps. And it's basically this client of mine just telling me how unhappy she is and how frustrated she is and how messy she thinks that my process was. And that was a real wake-up call for me. And it brought tears to my eyes because 
I am the kind of person who just doesn't like displeasing other people. In fact, I mean, I think it might be an Enneagram One thing. If anybody else is an Enneagram One, you guys know what I mean. Like we are, we don't like, or I should say, we like to be beyond reproach. That's like a a strong characteristic of Enneagram Ones. And I 100% can relate to that because all of my life, I have liked to be beyond reproach to, you know, to a a stupid point where it's really like made me worry and worry and worry that I've done something wrong and this person hates me. Or what if I do something wrong and, you know, my customers don't like me or, you know, things like this. Like, I think it has at times in my business pushed me to even go over the top with how much I deliver in my courses and how much value I give and over delivering in the name of being generous when it's actually just really probably me wanting to be beyond reproach and wanting to people please a bit too much. So (laughs) so when my client was unhappy, of course, this had a big effect on me because you know, not only do I want to be beyond reproach, not only do I want to like over deliver and, and, and provide something amazing, but I also do genuinely care about my customers and my clients. And I genuinely want them to have the most amazing experience working with me or buying from me. And the fact that this client didn't have that experience really was the thing that pushed me towards figuring out like, right, what is my client experience going to be like? What exactly is my step-by-step client process? How can I create a client experience and process that turns my clients into referral machines? How can I create a process that amazes my clients so that they walk away not only feeling super happy with the end result of what I gave them, but also incredibly happy and satisfied with the process I took them through. I think both of those things are equally important. And that's a lesson that I learned in my first few years of business, is that you can't just focus on the end result that you are giving someone. You have to also take some time and put some effort into the process through which you give them that result. Because I always like to use the example of like a bride shopping for a wedding dress. How much more exciting is it when the bride goes to, you know, a bridal gown shop? (laughs) I've forgotten the word for them. Maybe that is the word for them. I don't know. And when a bride goes to that shop and she has the whole experience of being offered a glass of champagne and being pampered a bit. And, you know, the shop itself is really organized and it smells beautiful and the service is brilliant. And she and her family and her friends just have an incredible experience with that shop. And what then happens is she comes away, speaking of that experience, to her friends who are getting married. I'm sure she would recommend that shop to her friends. And we kind of want to have that sort of, you know, process and experience in our business, no matter what we sell, we want our clients to be so happy and satisfied with the process that 
they can go away saying, not only is this result that this person has given me amazing, but working with them was a breeze and working with them was fun. It wasn't stressful. It wasn't messy. It wasn't confusing. And it didn't leave me wondering whether I had hired the wrong person. That's not the kind of experience we want our clients to have. So that was one big mistake that I made in my first few years of business. And so big was that mistake that, you know, it it made me go on to create one of my courses, Organize and Automate, which is a course that teaches online service providers how to organize their entire back end of their business so that they can stop stressing and start amazing their clients. If you do want to go and check that out, it's at organizeandautomate.com. So moving on to number two. I think the second mistake that I made, actually I know the second mistake I made, was trying to teach myself everything. Instead of investing in education or a mentor quite early on in my business. Because for a long time, I didn't buy courses or programs or anything educational. I honestly wasn't making that much money. So that was one factor towards my mindset with investing in my business. I started my business from nothing. I worked in a shop as a shop assistant. Before that, I worked as a waitress. I was on like £3.64 an hour or something like that as a waitress. And then in retail, I was on £6 odd uh, per hour, which is about $10, I would say. Maybe. (laughs) I haven't got like the currency converter on me right now. Yeah. And so I didn't earn a ton. And when I started my business, I started it from my own money. I didn't have financial help from my parents or anybody else. So I do think that was one thing that was on my mind and kind of did put me off from investing in any kind of course or any kind of educational program. But that said, so that's kind of the like thinking I had at the time, right? Like, oh, I don't make enough money to invest in this. But the funny thing was that I actually overspent on other things. So I overspent on one thing in particular, which was equipment. I think I had this belief that, I think I had this belief that I needed like a fancy MacBook Pro and I needed the fancy microphone and I need the fancy, you know, ring light and and all of these things to make me a professional. I think that was a belief that I had at the time. And so I ended up overspending on equipment that I didn't actually need to get my business up and off the ground. And looking back, what I would have done is not spent so much on equipment that I didn't really need. And I would have used some of my savings to invest in a course that would help me set my business up on the right foot so that it wouldn't take me as long as it did to make some solid income. Because for me, in my first few years of business, I made under £10,000 a year. And I think that if I had just invested in help and learn how to do things right from the get-go, 
I would have started making better money in year one or like at least year two, not after year three. So that is one big lesson that I did have to learn. And once I did start investing in courses, that really did change the game for me. But a thing I think that I also wish I had known at the time is that you don't need to join a £5,000 program or, you know, pay a mentor £3,999 or whatever it was for one-to-one coaching. If you can't afford that, but you still want to invest in your business and invest in the kind of education that can speed up your business growth, especially initially, right? Because initially we all want to get our businesses off the ground into a certain level of income so that we can do things like give up our nine to five job. And I think that I not only, you know, put placed over importance on equipment that I didn't need and told myself where I didn't make enough money to buy courses. But then I also had this belief that, you know, if I was ever going to invest in something that would help me learn my way around business and marketing and systems, it would have to be one-to-one coaching. And that was something I couldn't afford. So yeah, I would go back and I would tell myself, you know, you can actually just Take some of your savings and invest in a course that is created by a mentor who is already in the position that you want to be in and who has the same values as you. And I would tell myself that even though that's really uncomfortable to do, particularly when you're first in business and spending money and investing in business feels scary, I would tell myself that it is necessary if I want to grow without it being really difficult on my own. And if I want to grow my business a bit faster, or I should say grow my income in those first few years a bit faster. Still on the subject of investing in yourself, before I move on to my next mistake that I made, I would also like to say to anybody who's kind of relating to this point right now, which to be honest, I think is most of us. I think we all, all business owners go through a stage where it's really uncomfortable to invest in yourself. And I, I find it funny looking back. It wasn't funny at the time, but I find it funny looking back on myself um, and looking at so many others who come to me with this, with this dilemma where they, where they just feel uncomfortable investing in themselves because we are all taught that it is so normal to drop £30,000 on a student loan for a degree we most likely will never use in our professional working lives. And we just do it. We just go for it. Not all of us. I didn't go to university, so I didn't do that. And I didn't have that debt. But I would say most of us do do that. And society tells us that is perfectly normal and encourages that we do that. But when it comes to investing in ourselves and in our businesses, that is something that society doesn't necessarily encourage us to do. And I think that is one of the reasons why it's so hard, or at least it feels hard until you learn to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. So mistake number three, I rebranded over and over again 
Don't ask me why. <laughs> I really don't know. I think if I had to pull out some reason for this, I think it could be because I was just enjoying the process of rebranding because I started out as a web and graphic designer. And so this was something I really enjoyed doing. And I think because I enjoyed it so much, I ended up just rebranding constantly. And I also think that I possibly did this because I didn't really know who I was and what my brand was, what my message was. I didn't really know. And so I would just put together this brand design and this logo and this messaging. And then in a week's time, I would want to change it completely. And so I would. And I ended up wasting so much time trying to perfect my branding and perfect my website and redesign all the time. And I think I could have put that time and energy into much more worthwhile business building tasks, needle moving tasks, like my marketing and my client process and my systems and all of that good stuff. So number four, I didn't do a very good job at setting client expectations up front. And this is actually pretty much actually the same as my as my first point or similar to my first point. So my first point was that my client process was a hot mess, but this point number four kind of ties into that one. As a result of not setting client expectations up front, I had clients who would want to push my boundaries and keep pushing and keep pushing or expect me to do work that fell outside of the scope of the project. And I think that if I had just gotten better sooner at setting boundaries with my clients repeatedly, so not just telling them my boundaries once and then hoping they remember them, but repeatedly setting those boundaries and setting those expectations up front repeatedly, that would have helped me so, so much in the beginning years of my business. And it would have really helped me to just have, you know, client projects that were smoother and less stressful for me. It got to a point for me where I dreaded opening my inbox. I dreaded opening my inbox and looking at emails from my clients. I just dreaded it. I remember every time I clicked on the little Gmail icon and saw it loading on the screen, my stomach would just drop. And that's not how I wanted to feel in my business. I wanted to feel passionate about my clients and about helping my clients. And so I think that is a mistake that I made, not setting expectations and boundaries up front. And you can do this yourself quite easily. You can do this in things like a welcome page or a welcome packet, which is something that you send to your clients after they have signed their contract to work with you. And it outlines on one neat and tidy page or in one PDF exactly how the process is going to work, what your boundaries are, what the client should and should not expect, and so on. And I do have a podcast episode all about what exactly a welcome page is, which I will link to in the show notes. 
So you can do that inside of a welcome page. You can set expectations and boundaries in the initial consultation that you have with your clients. You can do things like have a client scorecard, which is something that I created for um for myself but it's inside of organize and automate my course and it's a scorecard that you basically use as you're on that initial consultation with your potential client and you mark that that person that potential client for different categories out of 10 and by the end you'll have an overall score And depending on how high or low the score is, should show you whether this client is a good fit for you, will respect your boundaries, you know, will be a healthy, good client to work with, or if this client is a potential nightmare. So I wish that I'd had things like that in my first year of business because it would have helped me so much. And it also would have helped me avoid a lot of the nightmare clients that I ended up working with. This episode is sponsored by my premium course, Organize and Automate. Working for yourself can be stressful. Your clients are late providing you with the assets you need to start their project. Your projects finish, but your clients are still emailing you with millions of questions. And getting them to pay you on time is like tearing yourself away from a four-hour binge session of This Is Us. Not going to happen, that show is awesome. If that sounds like you, don't worry. I've got you. Head to organizeandautomate.com slash podcast and join today to organize your entire freelance business in just two weeks on the side of your regular routine. So you can finally put an end to these client issues and stop stressing out. Okay, the final mistake that I want to share from my first few years of business is being on too many social media platforms. When I first started out, I was on Twitter. I had a Facebook page that I used and a Facebook group, Instagram, Pinterest, Periscope, which was back in the day, it was the like the the, the hottest live streaming app before you know Instagram enabled you to live stream and so did Facebook. So it was kind of like the original Clubhouse, like a version of Clubhouse. And I was on all of these things in all of these places. And because I was spreading my attention so thin, I think that stopped me from growing a lot more than I could have if I had just focused on one to two social media platforms. And I did end up doing that. So I started focusing in my first few years, primarily on Pinterest and also on Twitter which is ironic because I don't use Twitter anymore at all. I have the account, but I don't ever log into it. I I actually think that maybe like Instagram, my Instagram posts are published to Twitter now. Maybe. I don't know. But that was my main social media platform in the beginning of my business. And uh, Pinterest was as well. So I did learn my lesson and I did focus in on those two things. And I then saw a lot more growth or faster growth, I should say, that enabled me to quit my nine to five job. But I think that if I hadn't chosen to focus and I had still allowed myself to just spread my limited time and limited, you know, focus, 
on all of these different social media platforms, then I wouldn't have grown on those two in particular. And my business potentially just wouldn't have taken, you know, taken off like it did and allowed me to quit my nine to five job. So now moving on to the top mistakes and failures of my business in 2021, or just business struggles that I had in general. So first and foremost, I noticed in 2021 that my webinars have been converting at lower conversion rates than usual. And I have yet to like properly dig into this to understand exactly why. But one of my my theories is that over the last year, I've noticed that not just my course business, but a lot of other course businesses have experienced the same thing. And so I don't think that it's just that this is unique to my business. I think that a lot of course businesses are experiencing the same thing, where it's just maybe harder to make the sale now than it has been in the past. And I think that the pandemic and all of the different things that have happened in the world have also probably just changed the way that we spend. And I think that it's also, I mean, this is just my theory, but I think that it's also given a lot of us more fear-based mindsets. And that probably does bleed into how we perceive investing in our business. And that's just a theory that I have, but I have seen a few other business owners in my industry saying similar things. So Anyway, I'm going to update my webinars and just like update my funnels and see what works and maybe what isn't working. But that's one theory that I have for that one. Okay, so number two, I haven't kept good tabs on how much of my email list is currently in my one year funnel, my one year email funnel. And this, I think, has hurt my evergreen income. So, I should explain for those of you who aren't familiar, if you're inside of my marketing course, Simple Sales School, then you'll know what I'm talking about here. But if you're not, then I'll explain. So my one year email funnel is essentially a sequence of emails. The sequence is about one year long. And whenever somebody opts in, to my email list. So whenever someone signs up to my email list, they are automatically added to this one year funnel. And every single Tuesday, this funnel sends out one email automatically. And I don't have anything to do with it. I created it, I set it up, and it runs automatically. And it's not like a random um, assortment of emails. It's not like I just pluck all of my regular broadcasts that I manually write and send each week because I do that as well on a Thursday. It's not like I just take all of those and throw them into this one year funnel. It's a lot more strategic than that. And there are certain emails that you know, I know from experience that people on new people on my email list need to read and need to um, click through to watch the videos of in the first month on my email list, you know, to get to know me and um, to learn that they can trust me. 
those particular pieces of content I know are to go in my first month of these emails and I know strategically what kind of content my subscribers need a few months after knowing me and six months after knowing me and one year after knowing me because how somebody or what somebody needs to learn from you and what they need to learn about you is very different in their first week of being on your email list than it is from being on your email list for a whole year. So that is a summary of what my one year email funnel is. And I teach my students how to create theirs as well inside of Simple Sales School. But what I have done is I haven't kept very good tabs on how much of my email list is currently still in my one year funnel. And what you um, can do when the when everybody like makes it through the funnel is you can put them into a new funnel or you could just put them back into the same one year funnel and start them again from the first email. And there's different things that you can do, right? But essentially what you don't want to do is suddenly just have them end that funnel and then they don't get any more emails from you on Tuesdays and they only get your broadcast on a Thursday. And because I haven't kept good tabs of this in 2021, I think that that hurt my evergreen income. So that's something that I have to look at again in the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to be updating my one year funnel and, you know, adding people back to it who have been through it and they haven't purchased from me or creating a new funnel that spins off from that one. I haven't quite decided yet, but I have noticed in the one quick search that I did in ConvertKit, which is what I use for my email list, I did notice that most of my list is no longer inside of that funnel. And when they were, I made a lot more evergreen income. And now I typically feel like I have to launch a bit more to make that evergreen income up, if you get what I mean, like to make up the difference. So hopefully that makes sense to you guys. I know that most of you listening to this don't sell courses or digital products. So this this point may just have gone, you know, a bit irrelevant to you. Um, but for those of you who do, I hope that that makes sense. And even if you don't sell courses yourself, but you would like to in the future, then hopefully this gives you some insight into the different types of problems that you could encounter when you have courses and sell courses. By the way, I really hope that I'm not talking weirdly <laughs> or shouting. I've got a, uh, a really bad problem with my left ear at the moment and I can't hear 100%, so just bear with me. <laughs> Point number three, I haven't been as consistent as I would like to have been in 2021 on Instagram, because if I'm honest, I focused a lot, lot more on my mental health in 2021 than on my business. My business took a backseat and it had to, and I'm totally okay with having done that. And to be honest, I'll continue to keep doing that this year. I think that I'm still going to place more emphasis on my healing and my health than on my business. And that's okay to me personally. I don't feel bad about that. But 
I do think that it would have been nice if I could have been more consistent with Instagram in 2021 because when I am consistent with it, I see really great growth. And I've seen that Instagram, well, I've seen it and I've turned Instagram into the number one social media platform when it comes to sales for my business. So it's not the number one generator of sales in total, because that would be my email list and my webinars and my videos, because that all ties together with my email list. But after that, it's Instagram. So I think that it would have been really great if I could have been super consistent with Instagram in 2021, because who knows where that could have gotten my business sales and my Instagram by now. But like I said, I'm, to be honest, I'm totally fine with with what my with what I did with my Instagram last year because I did the best that I could and it still grew a lot. I think I ended up, I started 2021 with about 11,000 subscribers, sorry, followers, and I ended it with 31. So that's still 20,000 people, new people who are now following me, new ideal clients who weren't there a year ago. And I think if I'd have been even more consistent, maybe that would be more. So number four, I felt super disconnected and unpassionate about my business. And I did mention this in a previous episode. I think it was my 2021 review, which I'll link to in the show notes. I felt disconnected and unaligned and unpassionate about my business. And I needed to change that. Because when I wasn't feeling it, then it meant that I didn't really want to work. I wasn't feeling very motivated. And another mistake I made, the fifth one, was that, or I shouldn't say mistake, but maybe just a struggle, was that I didn't feel aligned with what I was talking about on social media. I noticed at the start of 2021 that the most viral content I made was about Instagram. And so I made more content about Instagram and it suited where I was at in business at the time anyway, because I was just about to launch my sales and marketing course, Simple Sales School. And one of the models inside of that course teaches Instagram. So, you know, it kind of was, it it was in line with my course. So I was posting about Instagram. All of that content was going really viral, but I don't want to be that Instagram person. I don't want Instagram to be what I am known for. And I very quickly grew bored of talking about Instagram. I was like, this is not what I'm here to talk about. This is not what I want my core mission to be. And most importantly, it's not what I want to become known for. And so I do think that feeling that way maybe potentially contributed to why I wasn't as consistent with Instagram as I would have liked to have been. On top of, of course, focusing on my mental health for the year. And I I did say that I was just going to give like 10 mistakes and failures, but I do have one extra one. And it's not a mistake or a failure. It's more of a struggle that I went through with my business in 2021. 
and also 2020. And that was that I struggled to like social media. I don't know if any of you will agree with me, but if you do, please feel free to DM me and start a conversation about it. But social media has felt increasingly toxic to me over the last, say, three years. And it's become a place that I don't enjoy spending a lot of time. And that's a real shame because I do remember a time when I really enjoyed Instagram and I felt really inspired by Instagram. And it is coming back to me, like I have been enjoying it a lot more recently, but I just, I haven't enjoyed it as much as I used to. I even deleted TikTok from my phone because I noticed that every time I went on TikTok, I was coming away feeling a bit meh. Like I would, I would always go to the comment sections of people's posts and I would always, always see drama. I would always see that someone somewhere has got a problem with this video, even like the silliest of videos, even a video about a puppy or a video about a dog cuddling cuddling with its owner or something like that. Like there were just arguments in everyone's comment sections and I don't know, it just, my, I guess like my energy when it comes to these kinds of things is quite sensitive and I don't enjoy seeing that sort of thing on social media. I don't enjoy seeing people just like rip into each other or argue with each other or not want to see each other's points of view and and all of this kind of stuff. Um, And so, yes, I just struggled a lot with social media last year and the year before. And this year, I hope to just not let that kind of stuff get to me as much. And I'm doing things, putting things in place, putting boundaries in place to protect my energy when it comes to social media. And I'll probably talk about that some more in a different episode if you guys do want to hear that. If you do, do let me know in a podcast review, you know, tell me what you think about this podcast and what you would love for me to talk about in future episodes because I read every single podcast review and I'm so thankful for every single one of them. So to kind of round this episode up, I think the key difference that I see when I look at the mistakes and the failures of my first few years of business compared to my recent years of business, now that I'm almost a decade in, is that in my first few years, my mistakes and failures were centered around my client process, my client experience, how professional that essentially meant that I was. And it also centered around having a hard time, me having a hard time with working with clients and feeling like I was messy and unorganized and disappointing my clients. And, you know, I think in the first few years of business, those are my main issues, along with not feeling comfortable investing in my education so that I could build a business the smartest way from the beginning instead of having to learn everything the hardest way by myself. Now, compared to my recent decade in business, my mistakes and failures are more centered around how my business makes me feel and my why. I think it centers around alignment 
and things like conversion rates of webinars and email funnels. So very different mistakes and failures compared to the two different times in my business journey. But I hope that some of them have helped you regardless of where you are in your journey. I think before I wrap up this episode, I do kind of want to um, tackle something, <laughs> which is that it's, it's the one question that people ask me all the time on Instagram and in my DMs, where people are, are saying to me, you know, I want to build an evergreen course like you do. Um, do you teach me how to build and launch and evergreen a course? And you may be thinking right now, listening to those two different, um, you know, mistakes that I made, the 10 mistakes I made, I should say, over the two periods of time. You may be listening to that and thinking, you know what, maybe if I'm in like my first few years and I'm not liking working with clients, then maybe I should just just sell a course instead. Like I kind of like the idea of, of the other set of problems. And here's what I will say to that. You can't really get to that stage without first going through the first stage of problems that I mentioned. And here is why. Okay, so for starters, I don't believe that anyone, any business owner should sell a course and sell a framework in that course that they haven't first tried and tested and proven with one-to-one clients. So if you have not got a proven tried and tested formula, then you shouldn't be packaging it into a course. You need to get the experience with one-to-one clients first. And here's another thing that I would say as well. If you can't sell a service to one person, you won't be able to sell a course to a hundred people or a thousand people. You need to have the foundations of your sales skills. You need to have those rock solid before that before you can start selling a course because it's so much easier to sell a service. So if you struggle to sell a service, you will most definitely struggle to sell a course. And the final thing I would say in regards to this is what most people don't tell you about having a course business is that on average, your course sells one to three percent. So it converts at one to three percent, meaning that if you have an email list of a thousand people and you have a conversion rate of say three percent, then you'll make 30 course sales. Now, I say that because for some reason, people just don't tell you this information online and then people rush into trying to launch a course with a very small audience or maybe a very disengaged audience and then wonder why they only made five sales or, you know, they launch a $297 course and they make 20 to 30 sales when they expected that they would make 100 when you have to know the maths first. If you know the math, then you can decide for yourself whether you're ready or not to launch a course, whether you have the audience size and they are engaged enough 
that a one to 3% conversion rate would give you a great profit from that audience and those core sales. So those are just things for you to consider if you are one of those people listening who is contemplating moving away from a client-based business to selling courses. You first need to have a decent-sized audience who are also very engaged. The more, the bigger your audience is, the more course sales you'll make. You need to have worked with one-to-one clients and solidified a process that you can package into a course, a process that you know works because you've seen it work with your clients and you need the sales and marketing skills to know how to sell a course well. And if you can't sell services well, you'll really struggle to sell a course well. So I hope that you have learned lots and lots from this episode. If you have, and you think this would be helpful to share with your followers, then please do go ahead and screen sh- <laughs> I can't even say the word, screenshot this episode and add it to your Instagram stories and tag me at Nisha Woolery, or just share this episode with a friend who you think would benefit. And I want to say again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here and for supporting this podcast. And I'll speak to you next week. Hey friend, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss future episodes. And if you're feeling extra motivated by what was discussed today, I would seriously appreciate it if you'd open up the Apple Podcast app on your phone and leave a super quick review. Honestly, your reviews tell iTunes that this podcast is worth listening to and iTunes then gets this show in front of more solopreneurs so they can get the help they need to bring more inner calm to their business. Okay, that's it from me today. Thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon.